My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to Episode 7 of Season 4. If you are self-employed as a creative, you will have noticed it's not easy. It's exciting, but also very demanding to be responsible for your own work and marketing and reputation and your financial well-being. So today I have some help for you in the shape of Robert Vlack, a very experienced advisor to freelancers and the author of a new book, the freelance way. In our interview, Robert describes the big picture of the opportunities and pitfalls of freelancing based on his own experience as a freelancer and of working with hundreds of freelancers directly, plus being the leader of one of the biggest freelance communities in Europe with over 150,000 members online. Robert has worked with many creative freelancers, and I'm pleased to say Robert is a listener to this podcast, so he's very much aligned with the ethos of the 21st century creative. He also consults in many other freelance sectors, so he can also give us a little bit of an outside perspective on freelancing for creatives and put our situation in perspective in a very helpful way. Before we get to the interview, And while we're talking about business for creatives, I'd like to offer my own perspective on the way we typically approach business in a less than orthodox way. Today, I want to talk about two types of entrepreneur. When you think of an entrepreneur, Maybe you think of someone like Richard Branson or Mark Cuban or Elon Musk. Or going further back, someone like John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie or Henry Ford. The men, and they always seem to be men, who built America. These guys do things on a big scale. They're all about profit and growth and scaling and dominating the market. It's a macho world where you go big or go home, and where the winner takes all. Maybe you're this kind of entrepreneur yourself. If so, then don't let me hold you back from world domination. But if you listen to this podcast, you're more likely to be the second kind of entrepreneur. If you're this kind of entrepreneur, you may not even think of yourself as an entrepreneur. Because you don't dream of world domination. You have no plans to take on VC funding or to scale your business so it's worth billions of dollars. You have no plans for an exit strategy. To you, a unicorn is a horse with a horn on its nose. You started out as an artist or a creative or a service provider or an agent of change. And you probably still see yourself that way. You want your work to be successful and sustainable. And like most real artists, you're very pragmatic 
So you use whatever tools are the best fit for the job. When it comes to making your work, you get the best tools you can afford, whether that's a MacBook Pro or the finest grade of oil paints or a 1978 Rickenbacker 4001 bass guitar. And when it comes to getting your work out there and selling it, you use the best tools for that job, including the tools of entrepreneurship. Maybe you're an artist growing a following on Instagram and selling your work to your followers or licensing images for use as murals or illustrations. Or a novelist publishing your own books and selling them via your mailing list and judicious use of advertising. Or a comedian with a devoted following on YouTube, earning from advertising, Patreon, and selling out your live shows. Or a trainer supplementing your live workshops by selling books and e-learning programs. Or a developer making and selling your own apps and other types of software. These days, this type of entrepreneur is often referred to as a creative entrepreneur. And from the point of view of traditional entrepreneurship, creative entrepreneurs are doing things backwards. Instead of following the logical course of looking for a lucrative market and creating products and services that will sell the most and make the most money, we start from the other side, from what we want to create. And we use the tools of business to make it this more effective and more profitable. To a traditional entrepreneur, this is a dumb thing to do. Meet one of these folks and they will likely tell you how much money you're leaving on the table. But talk to a creative entrepreneur and they will tell you how much joy they would be leaving on the table if they did the logical thing and just followed the money. Creative entrepreneurs don't typically make as much money as traditional entrepreneurs, although there are exceptions. But this is partly because they have a different definition of success. To them, success means practicing their art or doing their work in a way that makes them a good living and that makes a positive difference in the world. Given the choice between doing what they love for six figures a year or putting their dreams on hold for seven figures and they'll snap your hand off for the six figures. Maybe you recognize yourself in my description of a creative entrepreneur, but maybe you still don't see yourself as an entrepreneur, creative or otherwise. If that's so, then I invite you to see yourself simply as an enterprising creator. Being enterprising isn't about an identity. It's about doing what it takes to make your vision happen. It's about finding a way to get your project made, whether that means doing it all yourself, trading favours with friends, or finding smart technical solutions to save you time and money. It's about putting on an event by persuading the manager of the venue to let you use their space on a weekday and using your network to fill the stage and fill the room. It's about being just as pragmatic and persistent and ingenious about the business side of your work as you are about the artistic side. It's about using the tools that are the best fit for the job and learning to use them well. So next time you're facing a big challenge or you're wondering how to make your impossible dream come true, ask yourself, 
How enterprising can I be right now? If you're enjoying the 21st Century Creative, you may like to know there is more to this podcast than meets the ear. To help you succeed in your creative career or business, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. It covers the personal and professional skills you'll need to succeed as a creative professional in the 21st century. In other words, the stuff they probably didn't teach you at art school, on your creative writing masters, or wherever else you learned your craft. Things like how to manage your time, how to communicate your ideas, how to handle difficult conversations, how to close a sale, how to deal with money how to grow your network, and how to attract an audience for your work. Altogether, there are 26 lessons in the course, full of practical advice, plus a worksheet for each one to help you put the ideas into practice. And I'm giving you the entire course for free. In case you can't quite believe your ears, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and see for yourself. When you get there, you can sign up with just an email address and you'll get your first lesson right away. By the way, the course has already been taken by over 11,000 students. And on the sign-up page, you'll see lots of testimonials from other creatives whose lives and careers have been changed by the course. You can join them right now for free by going to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Robert Vlack is a business consultant who specializes in supporting independent professionals and business owners. Early in his career, he encountered the highs and lows of the freelance life, and as you'll hear in the interview, when he figured out some solutions for himself, he made it his mission to help other freelancers with the same challenges. In 2005, he founded one of the largest national freelance communities in Europe. And later, in 2012, Europe's first think tank for freelancers, which meets regularly in Prague and other cities. He's been holding freelancing courses for more than a decade and has consulted on over 300 business cases with individuals, startups, and companies. He has now distilled what he's learned from all of this into a book called The Freelance Way a very thorough and practical guide to freelancing, starting with the basics for beginners and going on to cover advanced career strategies and tools for veterans. Topics covered include productivity, teamwork, smart pricing, business negotiations, personal finance, and marketing. Robert lives with his family in the Czech Republic and also Spain. He wrote the first edition of his book in Czech, and it became a national bestseller. Now, when it came to publishing the English edition, rather than settling for a straight translation, Robert took the opportunity to revise the book and incorporate contributions by world-class experts David Allen, Adam Grant, Austin Cleon, and David H. Hansen. The new edition also includes real-life experiences and stories from hundreds of professionals in different fields and countries, which makes the book highly relevant to freelancers all over the world. 
Robert and I have been in touch via email for many years, and when he showed me the book, I knew it was something I wanted to feature on the podcast. He's someone with a lot of knowledge about what it takes to succeed in the sometimes very tough life of a freelancer. Robert's expertise covers many different sectors of freelancing, so he can see the specialist world of creative freelancing in context, and he has some very interesting things to say about the specific challenges and opportunities out there for creative freelancers. So, if you work for yourself as a creative, you should find this a very useful as well as thought-provoking conversation about the freelance way. Robert, you've written a great book on freelancing, and I love the fact that it starts with a story about when you were young and you swore that you would never be an entrepreneur. Well, that story, I think, uh, uh, made me a freelancer, actually. Uh, When I was a teenager, uh, like uh, in 1991, my parents uh, started their own company. It was a bakery. And they had like lots of employees and they were like going all in to into their business. And mm-hmm. I saw like how hard it is actually to, to run a business. So they were working weekends, they were working nights, coming late. And basically we didn't see her, we didn't see them much at home with my brother for 10 years. So my idea was that uh, doing business is actually very hard and that you have mm-hmm. to uh, sacrifice a lot. And it just didn't make any sense to me. As a kid, I, I had lots of, lots of uh, creative ambitions and it just didn't make sense, like sacrifice that much only to earn a living, right? At that time, um, I was studying a business school, which was also a lot uh, it was also related to companies mostly, and uh, so it only confirmed my bias, right? And I didn't know at that time that freelancing is something completely different, that there is a way how to do business on the individual level uh, without a need of large capital, without going all in, without uh, the risks that they have to take. So what was it that changed your mind? Well, actually, it was it was a lucky chance. Uh, when I was twenty something, around twenty, I went to Spain. I, I loved traveling at the time, and I was just looking for a seasonal labor and to go on with my travels. But actually, I found uh, a job, and it was actually a freelance job. I became a web developer for a local company in Catalonia, Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a contractor for a single client and I absolutely loved that job because uh, it was mm, internet industry in, in its early stages before the dot-com bubble. Uh-huh. And so I was the only person in the company who had actually understood uh, the technology and the strategy behind it, like how to develop the service. And so I had like immense freedom to to work on this project. And I was working like seven days a week. My boss even urged me to take a 
break or whatever. I didn't care because I found something that was like <laughs> incredibly interesting. And I was really, like, really young. So I had like uh, lots of energy and I was like working nonstop. So of course I burned out after two or three years. Mm-hmm. And that was like another major, uh, major turning point in my career because uh, I, I was really like uh, totally fed off with computers. Like I was sitting by the computer like for f- two or three years and it was enough. So I had some money and I decided I want to do something with my hands. And I was always traveling across Europe from Czech Republic to Spain. And I was often going to through France, through winery areas, winemaking areas. Mm-hmm. So I just had this idea that I would, it would be nice uh, to do something with wine. So I wrote to several wineries um, and one winery uh, close to Vienna wrote me back that they would actually need some help uh, um, outdoors on the field. And they took me in for like a minimal wage. So I was working one year outdoors, just like making wine, like uh, taking care of everything that was needed. So I had one year basically to think uh, what I, what I want to do. And then uh, there I stumbled upon the idea that actually uh, what I didn't like about the work was that I was working for a single client. Uh, It was almost like being an employee. It was like really routine work in the end and i realized that actually i liked um, working with web technologies but i would prefer to have more freedom so that's where i stopped uh, uh, being like a hopeless amateur and started to think about like professionalizing about working for multiple clients so basically at at that moment i raised my autonomy and became a real freelancer so to say I get the sense, Robert, that you're a kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. So you went from saying, I'm never going to do this to being totally all in and then burning yourself out and then doing a very creative thing, which was stepping away and getting into a completely different environment again. Is is this something in your character that you really, you know, when you commit, you really play full out? Yeah, I do. Uh, that's That's right. But uh, uh, there's one more, there's one catch, basically. I'm uh, not really mm-hmm. uh, a person who likes to take risks. So actually, this was a necessity. I was like really tired and I, I was looking for some like way out. But uh, uh, and, and the good thing was when I was a contractor in Spain, I actually didn't realize, and this is like quite common for so many freelancers, that I'm actually like starting to do a business, right? Yeah. Because I have a client, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wasn't aware of it. And only later I realized that to go fully freelance, it means like becoming more a business person. And then I was really scared because I'm a conservative person in a way. Like uh, I'm really, I'm not really uh, like uh, embracing risks and uh uh, in that moment, it was really hard. Although I'm from entrepreneurial family, uh, I knew uh, from my parents that actually, like doing business involves some taking some risk and taking doing some really hard work. So I knew all that before going freelance, and so I definitely didn't sleep for several nights before like mm-hmm. committing uh, myself to to become an independent professional. But then when I make a decision like doing this or like, I don't know, starting a project, writing a book, I go all in. That's right. 
And I'm picking up two words that keep jumping out. One which is really loud and clear is freedom. I mean, it strikes me that the word free is is nested there inside freelancing. And you've used it several times and talked about the autonomy, the mm-hmm. the you know, the opportunity to to work on what you think is important in your own time, even if it's seven days a week. Um but then the other pole, I, I guess, in a freelancer's life is risk, you know, and there's the the stress of that risk. And I guess a lot of freelancers live between these two poles. They're attracted to the freelance to the freedom, but obviously they're, they're not so attracted to the risk. I mean, is is this a, a common pattern you see in your work with freelancers? Uh, absolutely, you're right. Uh, uh, first of all, like. It's for me. It's always difficult uh, to speak about freelancers and freelancing in general because it's such a broad mm-hmm. phenomenon. I, well, we should definitely say here that uh, like there is no like general definition of a freelancer worldwide, right? Right. Like there are various definitions uh, across the world. Uh, for example, the American one is really broad. It b- basically yeah. counts in as a freelancer everyone who has some income from a free market. So it can be a temp, like working uh, through an agency for $10, $15 per hour. And it can be a field celebrity or like real celebrity. Like we can definitely speak of, I don't know, Bruce Springsteen as an independent professional, right? Or uh, some famous writer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's this huge like market uh, of freelancing and like, so it's hard actually to, to make any general statements, but there is like a strong division, I would say, between uh, full-time freelancers and part-time freelancers. These two groups, uh, uh, like mm, from the surveys that were made, uh, have quite different motivations. Uh, it, with uh, part-time freelancers who freelance as a side jobs or who are just moonlighters, uh, there's basically a strong incentive to earn some extra money. So there's like a pretty strong financial motivation and that's fine. But with full-time freelancers, if you ask them in surveys or in interviews, there is always like very strong uh, tendency towards uh, values like independence, uh, time flexibility, Mm -hmm. mobility and working from anywhere, doing what they enjoyed, being their own boss or working for their own benefit, which is very important for creative professionals, right? Because you create something and then you can benefit from it for, for years. If it's a great system or word or book, whatever. So these two groups have like pretty different motivations and you are absolutely right that there are all, there are also straw drawbacks to freelancing. So because I'm a basically business consultant working with independent professionals and business owners, I always see both parts. I see the like good part, like that is always presented publicly, but also the dark side that uh, includes like uncertainty from income swings and financial mm-hmm. uncertainty in general, uh, loss of work-life boundaries, irreplaceability, some stress related to work. But I would always say that Freelancer basically is a business person, right? So uh, freelancer is not a victim. You can do a lot to enhance your chances and to suppress uh, the drawbacks of freelancing. So basically, when you do nothing uh, about preventing your risk, it can be a really... uh, 
it can be a really bad trip, I would say. Something that uh, would be a nightmare of a business. But if you work consistently to realize what your risks, what your main risk areas are, and trying to suppress them, like in half a year, in one year, in two years, you would be in a completely different situation. So you would basically raise your uh, immunity towards stress and uncertainties. And, you know, you've worked with quite a wide spectrum of different types of freelancer. Would you see that there's any big patterns or differences between creative freelancers and other types of freelancer? Definitely. Uh, I think uh, that, uh, well, uh, let me start from a broader perspective. Uh, uh, First of all, like, there is a mother of all mistakes in freelancing, and that is basically applying know-how or advice that is meant for companies or or startups while being freelance. Freelancing is so Mm -hmm. distinct because it's so so much connected to a single person that applying even a great and good advice from the world of companies or startups is leads to many errors. So first of all, like any freelancer has to work with the know-how that is meant for freelancing, for individuals who are working on their name or their good name and who are selling their expertise on the free market. That's, I would say, like the, the most important thing when thinking about freelancing as a business. And then uh, in general freelancing, you have some very interesting uh, niches, like, for example, being a professional sportsman. That's a great example. <laughs> For example, Roger Federer is definitely an independent professional. That, that mm-hmm. He's a great sportsman. He has his team. He has his, like, uh, probably agent for dealing with the media, but it's him. It's his own story. And uh, all these people, they are, they are helping him to, well, have a long career, to be in great shape, to have a great image, right? To support the courses you want to support. But definitely, he needs completely different uh, know-how than a general freelancer does. Because, mm-hmm. for example, with uh, professional sportsmen, they have a shorter careers, like shorter active careers. So they have to go all in on uh, in the like in a decade or in fifteen years. Like that's their time span that yeah. they have to get maximum out of it. And uh, definitely, uh, creative professionals are another niche that is so special so basically for creative professionals it's important to have a good uh, broad knowledge of freelancing in general like like general know-how like business negotiations time management pricing for example but then also to study uh, know-how that is related only to their uh, niche and there they use sources like uh, lateral action or your podcast uh, well i follow your work for 10 years and i still f- believe that this is one of the best resources in the world for for creative professionals so you definitely know what i'm talking about well thank you robert it's an honor to have such an, a long-term reader and listener on the show and and likewise um you know you and i have been following each other's work for a while so it's it's great that we can be doing this conversation so, okay, and I'm also very, obviously very pleased to hear that uh, we creatives are indeed as special as we thought we were. So, okay, Robert, maybe we could come back to your journey again. So you went from, you know, completely full-on web development, then you went to the winery for a year. How, how did you end up doing what you're currently doing? Yeah, when, when I became a freelancer, a full-time freelancer, uh, 
I started uh, to connect with others, with my friends, mm-hmm. and I actually found out that they lack ability to present themselves online. So I started like several small websites, like presenting their work. It was just like like non-profit free work uh, for friends. And actually, it was a great success because they they started to have some gigs uh, from this. And so they were like sending other people to me, like uh, if they can join. And I, I, I wasn't really ready for that. I, I, I was turning these people down for two years. And then I went mm-hmm. to Mexico for a like really long journey. I spent there like three months and I was like spending all days on bus. Uh, and I was thinking that I should probably start a platform for my friends and other freelancers in Czech Republic. And that's exactly what I did in 2005. We started like really small, like publishing blog, having a directory of Czech freelancers, uh, organizing trainings. And like, it was really like small stuff, you know, because in that time, in 2005, uh, uh, freelancing in general in Europe wasn't the primary uh, career option. Like if you were like, really experienced, educated, professional, you wouldn't go freelance. You would go running your own company or being employed. That was the, that was the general uh, mm-hmm. uh, spirit of the time. So I started something small and it was for friends, for people I knew, and we were just sharing the know-how we had about freelancing. And we, was, we were always looking uh, to States, to United Kingdom, elsewhere in Europe, uh, just to share the best practices. And this is definitely something we do all the time, even now. And then in 2008, um, after the financial crisis and the economic crisis that followed, it all changed basically because um, companies were suddenly uh, laying off uh, people who were experienced and who were before like sure they would always have job and suddenly there were these like experienced professionals paying uh, a mortgage and uh, like uh, risking that they wouldn't be able to do so so they started these people started to shift their careers like towards being part-time independent, like uh, doing consulting or doing some freelance projects. So they started to, to hedge against like being, um, being laid off or being, being not needed in, the, in their companies. And gradually this became uh, like a Europe-wide or worldwide phenomenon that uh, freelancing became more and more uh, appreciated as a like full blow, full full blooded alternative to being employed in a salt company, right? So yeah. uh, that changed completely what we did uh, with this community in Czech Republic, uh, because the number of people who were suddenly interested in in going freelance and changing their careers was like mind boggling. So at the moment we are helping like one hundred and fifty thousand Czech freelancers and independent professionals as well as people wow. who aspire to become freelancers in the future by spreading news, best business practices and, and freelance know-how, right? So this is this is the sh- long story made short. And, and could you just give us the, I can't pronounce the, the name of your community. Could you, for any Czech uh, speakers listening, could you give us the name of the community, please? Yeah, yeah. It's it's called Naval Nanoze and it's, uh, it just means freelance. Okay, great. And we'll make sure we have a, 
a link in the show notes, obviously, to Thank that. You. So, I mean, this has been a huge shift, hasn't it? Because, you know, when we started out in our careers, it wasn't, you know, the spirit of the times to be out as an independent free spirit. But I guess we ended up doing it because we had strong internal reasons that, you know, we exactly. valued the freedom so much. But these days, I think the environment is much more open and supportive. And there's people like you out ready to help. But, you know, that kind of help was much thinner on the ground years ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, do you think this is, it's looking like a pretty solid trend, huh, for the future? Uh, well, uh no one, nobody knows exactly, but uh, but I think it's it's uh, the future might surprise us actually uh, because there are, I would say there are two major trends in freelancing at the moment. Uh, first, first uh, is like that freelancing is becoming more like global, like uh, people are able to work for clients anywhere in the world. So yeah. basically, you may have people in India or Brazil or Africa just working for global clients if they are like well uh, if they have some expertise and if they if they can speak or communicate in English or some other global language they can pretty easily work for clients for anywhere so uh, on one hand I see freelancing as a like a great help for people in developing or like poor countries, how to improve their well-being and how to get out of, like, uh, not poverty, but, like, uh, not having, like, enough, for example, income to sustain their family. Uh, And the second trend is that uh, basically a younger generation of of millennials millennials, uh, is uh, having a different preference towards work so these young people, they usually prefer like being more flexible in what they do. They prefer like working flexible hours uh, to choose projects they would be working on, uh, to, to work from whenever, wherever they are. And companies like progressive companies in the world, they already started to offer flexible, more flexible jobs, right? So basically what we see at the yeah. moment is that People who would uh, in the in the past who prefer like be more flexible and more free and who would choose freelancing in the past are suddenly offered pretty solid like stable pay jobs uh, within like regular companies and so these two words are again like merging or getting closer so I would expect that uh, in the future uh, not so many. Uh, people would freelance out of necessity because they would have option being flexible in an employment. And I think that's great, basically. Hmm. That's very interesting convergence of two trends. So, okay, Robert, maybe we can start to look at the book, The Freelancer's Way. And there was one phrase that really jumped out at me early in the book, which is, you are your capital. Mm-hmm. Could you expand on that, please? Uh, yeah, that's one of the main differences between a standard company-oriented or startup-oriented uh, business and individual mm-hmm. business as a freelancer or independent professional. Like, uh, mm, oh, we were always taught in school uh, that uh, being a freelancer or being independent, self-employed, is like, uh, is 
well, you don't need a capital for that, right? You don't need buildings, yeah. you don't need a lot of money. But actually, uh, as freelancers, we need a capital, but in a different form. Like uh, our capital is our knowledge, our skills. Well, uh, yeah. we ourselves, uh, it's also our yeah. reputation because if you go freelancing with some like uh, history, like professional history, that's the reputation you may, as a capital, that you may use and enhance or lose completely, right? So there may be like certifications, there, there will be your education. So everything that is like related to you and to your experience is actually the capital that you are putting in and you are like earning money on it while being a freelancer. So uh, we may also say that uh, uh, if you don't have enough personal capital, so if you have like two general skills or, or skills that are, don't have a value on the market, that it would be really hard for you as a freelancer to earn a good living. So we are, we are basically talking about personal capital being all that, like you yourself looking, uh, looking outside on the free market to the world and being able to pick up the opportunities where you can employ these skills, this capital to earn some living. That's what I meant by that phrase. Yeah, and again, I, I really like this because it draws together the internal and the and the external. Again, you know, similar to freedom. I mean, for me, and I know a lot of other freelancers I talk to, learning is a really powerful motivation. I Absolutely. always want to learn something new, discover something new. And what you're saying is by doing that, I'm actually adding to my own personal creative capital, if you like, because it makes me a more skilled person, maybe a more knowledgeable person, maybe even a richer person in terms of, you know, life experience and so on. So, you know, this is another thing that I really like about the book, the way you you can point out the hard business value of something that maybe somebody listening to this might take it for granted. Well, I've always learned, I've always created, I've always liked to grow and develop. But for you, that's a real asset for the business, right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, just just a short story. Uh, we were doing once a survey among our members, and there was a question like, uh, uh, "How important uh, is to educate themselves or to grow in knowledge?" And one hundred percent basically said that it's very important for them. So basically, among freelancers, there's right. a general one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like these people, they they totally realize that uh, like being able to acquire new valuable skills is definitely tightly related to their success in their careers. And uh, one more one more note on this. Uh, I always say there are like basically three levels in freelancers, and this is also something that we should stress out definitely. Uh, mm -hmm. the first level is your expertise, expertise. So I don't know, being an illustrator or writer, and that's something I don't have anything to say about. Like you have your mentors for that. You have your education for that. And this is yeah. like, oh, this is, this is what the client is paying you for. This is what the clients are interested. Mm -hmm. They are interested in like in your, in yourself and in your valuable expertise or something you can do. Then there is a second level, like pretty small in most countries that, that these are like administrative obligations. This is something that your governments want, something like filling your taxes, whatever. I mean, like uh, people are usually scared about this level, but uh, when they start, 
doing business, they actually realize that it can be pretty easily outsourced and it's not that difficult, right? Yeah. Uh, well, in, when compared to companies, which is where the, it's much more difficult to run whole the whole administrative uh, area. Yeah. And then there is this third area, which is which is the business, which is actually including what you want. And this is something what my book is about, like uh, all these like things in the business alphabet that you have to handle if you want to grow as a business person. Because what I see so often with freelancers is that you have these people who have like great expertise. They are like total experts and uh, mavens in what they do. They are really skilled, but they are really poor in doing business. So basically, it's important for freelancers to realize that these are basically two totally independent areas and that you can be like great in what you do. But if you fail in business negotiations in pricing in being reliable and, and self-managing yourself, it will beat you with a stick on a free market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just getting flashbacks to a few situations where, you know, I was involved in, in hiring somebody who was the, the mm. really great expert in what we were doing but the reliability so was just on. not there and it just totally torpedoed the projects but anyway mentioning no <laughs> names um so if i'm listening to this and i'm thinking okay i can recognize myself i you know i pride myself on my expertise but i know i could be a lot better at the business side of things what are some of the biggest things that i need to focus on well uh one of the major sore points is definitely finance. Uh, when you go freelance, you may have big ideals about freedom, about being independent, but if it wouldn't work out financially, you would basically need to pack your bag and go back being employed uh, or like asking somebody for help. So basically, financial self-management is very important. And it's totally underestimated uh, area with freelancers. For example, uh, in a survey of freelancing in America 2017 that is done by uh, Freelancers Union and uh, Upwork, uh, they were asking uh, freelancers if they understand their finances and only 41%, two out of five freelancers said they do which is like totally shocking. Whoa. I mean, like, come on, how can you be a business person and not understand <laughs> your finances? So basically, this is definitely an area that people really need to work on. And the good, uh, good news is that it's actually not that hard. It's basically something that people overlook or they do it like intuitively. And well, they, do, they just don't focus, right? So basically, in that area, I would just recommend like uh doing some gradual improvements like gradually raising the awareness and the control you have over your finances so it can be something really easy in the beginning it can be like for example like uh recording your, your monthly revenues like doing it for a year or two and like just seeing the trend i mean like if you have the feeling that this month is really low uh on income uh, you may just look into your records and find out that every, I don't know, every May is actually low and it, 
that you could have known it, right? That you could have yeah. prepared in advance. Yeah. So this is like a basic level. Then you have like more advanced level, like doing some financial overview and actually like putting aside some solid reserve because the reserve is like a good cushion for most risks that you may encounter. Uh, then you can go gradually to even higher level and actually starting to analyze your cash flow. Uh, it's it, it's not that hard. I basically, on an individual level, it usually means like installing some app for like uh, recording your spending. And then you see like in categories, like where you are overspending, right? Because what people do usually that they spend that they just don't record anything. And when when suddenly they ask the crucial question like, well, where are all this money I'm earning going? And they realize that they don't have the answer, right? Mm -hmm. And well, and you can go on like yeah. uh, the next stage probably would be a financial plan, like planning your finances and, and uh, spending for the future. So it would give you a really good overview uh, how will your finances look in one or two years. That's that's pretty easy to, to do if you if you have the records. And then the final stage probably would be some investment. So you wouldn't probably uh, think as a beginning freelancer, I was like, where, how can you save for being, uh, being old, being, being retired? But definitely there will come, there will come a time uh, when you be more advanced, uh, where you will start thinking about how to not spend your money, how not to spend the money you spent and like, uh, invest them so that you keep them and even grow them possibly. So in general, Financial self-management is definitely one area to look in. Uh, I, I would recommend it to every freelancer who is a full-time freelancer. I, I like the way you, you talk about financial self-management rather than just financial management because it makes it a bit more personal, doesn't it? And it kind of brings it home, well, ultimately, you know, we, we are responsible. Yeah, exactly. And it's our behavior that either gets us into trouble or gets us into a good place. Actually, this is uh, a good example how... A freelancing, how the freelancing differs from, I don't know, having a company. Because usually these people are self-employed yeah. and they have to manage their personal finance and their like business finance together. Uh, it, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, like when you have like large costs in doing business, you definitely spend less at home. And when you have like large costs at home, you probably wouldn't spend it much on your business. So for freelancers in general, it's really like uh, these are like closed uh, areas. They are they are merged, and uh, also you often use things that you purchase for your business, like I don't know, a car or or home office. Uh, you use them for your private life as well. So it would be really hard to distinguish like uh, what part is, what part of your home office is like for the business and, and uh, for, uh, for life. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. I agree that uh, 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 self-employed business persons, uh, they take, they have to um, admit much larger uh, responsibility for their, for the status and uh, if you fail in this, you are basically risking a lot because you are liable for everything you do as a freelancer. So it's not 
when you are an employee and you are not happy with your situation, you, you may just change the employer, right? This is not an option for most freelancers. Yeah. Yes. We're stuck with ourselves, aren't we? So, okay, going back to our imaginary listener who is um, maybe not so imaginary, who's, who's listening and thinking, okay, great, I'm, I'm going to get on top of the financial self-management for my business. What else should I be paying attention to? On well, the definitely <laughs> we have to stay with finance because the, I think that like one of the major other areas that are underestimated is pricing. Uh, mm-hmm. People who freelance, uh, they, don't, they usually don't have uh, good pricing skills. And especially, they don't have a good knowledge of how the pricing for a freelancer is should be done, because that's a, that's another huge difference from pricing in companies. Because if you have a company with employees uh, and you have a growing demand, basically what you would try to do is to expand your production. So you would probably keep the price at the same level. Just hire an next person, next employee, next helper, and you would expand. So even yeah. like perhaps the best companies, they would even try to expand while also pushing uh, the price down because they would be like diffusing uh, the fixed costs. But if you are a freelancer, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So basically, uh, well, when you start freelance, like usually have nothing to do, so you don't have clients, so. Basically, your time is filling, uh, your schedule is filling up pretty slowly. And then you suddenly reach a point where your schedule is full. And the initial reaction by freelancers, I would say like 90%, is that these people realize, okay, I'm I'm really lame at uh, like managing my time. So basically, they, they try to be more productive. And doing more work in less time, so that would like enable them yeah. to to take in the demand that is coming. But the second or third time you would reach the full capacity uh, as a freelancer, uh, uh, like raising the productivity uh, to infinity is not an option. So basically, every other like trial mm-hmm. to enhance your productivity is like bringing you less and less uh, like increase. And so there you have like three major options. Uh, either you will uh, like ask more colleagues to do some work for you and create a team and you will basically expand your productive capacity. And that's where a freelancer goes towards like founding an agency or company. So putting a brand on that. So that's yeah. one direction. It's totally le- legit. And the other option is basically to raise prices. So when you when you have like even larger demands, you raise the price and there you are basically suppressing demand for from people who want work really cheap. You don't you probably want don't want to work with these people anymore or like not that mm-hmm. much. And the other thing that happens is that by raising the price you are basically raising your uh, raising expectations from your clients. So I definitely uh, would accept uh, would, yeah. uh, would expect uh, uh, much more professional work from a web developer that ask I don't know one hundred euros for per hour 
than from a student who works for 20, right? Like my expectations would be much higher. And if there would be some errors or mistakes, I would be definitely like uh, asking to be corrected. So I probably wouldn't mind with a, with a student. Uh, so basically, if we, have, if we as freelancers uh, raise our prices, we are uh, like we are making it harder for ourselves because uh, the expectations are going high. And so we have to be like more professional. We have to be like more uh, educated. We have to be better experts. So basically the pricing uh, strategy is crucial for a freelancer's growth. Basically, this is something that makes you a better expert, that you are earning more and definitely you you want to keep that status, right? So it's actually like pretty great motivation for yeah. you to don't oscillate in quality. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't like to go on a lower plane where you were like making errors, like being unreliable. And so you are making it harder for yourself and growing. And just to be, just to be uh, complex enough, I would say that there is also a third option, which I don't recommend. And this is turning down work. This is something like really short-sighted, like you may have growing demand and decide on at some point that you would just turn down good work. And this is something that uh, may turn against you in the future, because like if you turn down bad work, that's fine. We all do it, right? We don't, we do it politely. We just yeah. recommend someone who is cheaper or whatever, who has like, who has some capacity to do so. But when you turn good work that is coming to you on recommendation, you are actually like uh, corrupting a uh, uh, good name that forms around you. Because people would say, hey, that one is great, but choose someone else because he never has time. So, which is a problem yeah. when you already have time, have time, right? Well, this this rule that you shouldn't, as a, as a basic rule, uh, shouldn't uh, turn down good work as a freelancer has some exception, obviously. I mean, like if you are a world-class writer or, or a field celebrity, you probably would have to do that. Right. But this is, uh, I'm talking about the general rules for pricing. So basically uh, the best way for a freelancer to, to work with prices is to be ready and be flexible to raise your prices gradually as you grow as a freelancer. And, I may also turn this around and say, for example, in if in 2015 you have a, you have a price of I don't know like 40 euros per per hour, and I see the same person having the same price in five years, how do I understand it? I understand it that hmm. this person, this particular freelancer, basically wasn't growing at all for these these years that he or she didn't move anywhere. So price says a lot about us as freelancers. Thank you, Robert. I think you've articulated this really well. So there's this dilemma, or maybe trilemma, which is, is that as demand goes, you've got different options. Either you can, and I'm thinking about this from the perspective of a creative freelancer particularly, because as we know, we have mm -hmm. our special motivations. So I'm getting increasing demand. So on the one level, I could hire other people to do it, but then that takes away one of my big motivations for doing this in the first place is that I'm a creative, I'm a designer, I'm a, yeah. a writer, an actor, or wh whatever. I want to do the work myself. And I don't want to turn good work away, which is 
option three. So what you're saying is if, if I increase my prices, then that helps to sift the applications because the better clients are the ones who are prepared to pay more for, yeah. for quality. Uh, you don't mind using the people who just want the cheapest option. And it's really interesting point that you make about, well, then the expectations raise. But you see, if I'm a creative, then then there should be a sweet spot, shouldn't there? Because my personal motivation is always to get better, is to be the best I possibly can at something. So this is another case, I think, where you've got these internal and external motivations. Yeah, you put your prices up and then expectations go up. But you know what? If you really do value your skills and your expertise and your ambition as a creative, then this is, I think, a, a lovely challenge to rise to, to think, well, how can I deliver more value? How can I do a better job? And I think what ideally what you're looking at is a future where you have fewer clients who pay you better fees and you do better work and they, they appreciate the better quality. Yeah, right? exactly. And there's so much more behind what you say uh, because uh, – you creative professionals are special because uh, you work with these like internal talents, uh, your muses, for example, and you don't, you have like, you, you have to be sometimes pretty selective in what kind of work do you want to work with or work on, right? So I would, I would yeah. amend to what I said previously. Uh, when we as freelancers are selecting uh, the clients we want to work with. We have so many tools how to do it, uh, how to select the proper ones, how to select the best ones. For example, with general freelancers, it's pretty common with the senior ones that they have something as ethical codex, right? So, for example, I have a friend uh, who has an ethical codex right next to his price list on his website. And he said, he says there, like, I'm not working for people who, I don't know, produce unhealthy food, who fabricate, who produce uh, arms or guns. Uh, I don't work for this or that. So basically, you have like several other tools, how to narrow your, uh, your, your clientele. And it's fine. So it's not only about the price, but the price, price is of course, usually the major major driver because people and clients they are usually uh, uh, like looking at it as one of the first uh, first things. And as for the second part of your comment, uh, there's definitely a sweet spot, like a balance point between uh, between the demand and between uh, your price and between uh, your capacity to work and. One of the like most complex problems in freelancing is that this sweet spot is constantly moving. So basically what you need to do is to have a system for personal productivity and pricing and perhaps even your marketing because by marketing yourself, you are raising the demand, right? Yeah. Uh, balanced somehow. And you have to be ready on the, on the pricing level, like really be flexible on the price, which is a problem for so many freelancers. They are basically setting some price for years to come. And this is wrong. I mean, like we are working on dynamic uh, market that is constantly changing. 
you are growing as a professional. You are like becoming more productive, becoming more in demand because your good name is growing by doing a good work. And all these factors have to come down to your pricing in the end. So basically, I would never recommend a freelancer to, I don't know, have the same price for four years, for two years, for three years. What I would recommend is like being more flexible. It means like changing your hourly rate, I don't know, several times a year, just according to the factors as you perceive them. And also trying to uh, learn different pricing methods because usually freelancers they use one or two pricing methods like for example hourly rate or day rate but they don't venture into learning new ones and these new methods like uh, for example having a day rate or having a success fee or satisfaction fee or like variant pricing these may enable in enable you to uh price uh assignments that are somehow special and that that wouldn't just just wouldn't make sense if you would pr uh, set a price on them using your standard uh, price pricing method yeah and i would if you're listening to this and you're intrigued by this there's a really great section in robert's book where he really goes into a, a really quite mind-boggling list of different pricing models it's very comprehensive but also very clear as well uh, so definitely there's, there's plenty more in the book about pricing that's worth delving into. And also, I mean, the, the book as a whole, you really do cover all the different aspects of freelancing, Robert. It's a really nicely balanced book. And, uh, you know, we could be here all day delving into the, the various sections. But you, one thing I'd like to talk about before we finish up is is the process of creating the book itself, because you originally wrote it in Czech, and right. it was a national bestseller there. And and you kindly sent me a copy when it came out. And it looks lovely, but obviously I couldn't read it. But, you know, for the benefit of me and the rest of the English-speaking world, you've, you've not only translated, but you've kind of reinvented the book, haven't you? Can you talk a little bit about the process of producing the English edition when you already had a really solid, successful bestseller? I mean, why not just translate that and get send it to a translator and go and make yourself yeah. a cup of tea. Uh, well, that was, that was a really uh, life-changing journey for me uh, <laughs> because uh, I wrote the original book and it was, it was actually really long. It was 760 pages. Uh, it was the first mm -hmm. thorough book on freelancing in the Czech language. So I really felt uh, the urgency and the responsibility to introducing the phenomenon to Czech readers like on a complex scale. And uh, when we decided, because the book was selling really great uh, to our amazement, because we didn't expect uh, a book that expensive and that like huge to be selling really well. Uh, so w when it happened, like we, we opted that it would be, we were thinking that it would be great to translate it because generally freelance business know-how is applicable worldwide. It's not a special uh, Czech or European or American one. It's basically something that goes uh, throughout history, basically, and it always stays basically the same, you know? Like, that's another curious thing about freelancing, that by being a freelancer, you don't, you don't follow uh, you don't follow a company tradition, yeah, but you are basically following a tradition of craftsmanship uh, that go back 
goes back to antiquity, right? Like being successful freelancer have similar prerequisites today as it had um, in ancient Rome, for ancient Rome, for example. So, uh, like, I knew that the know-how is general, and I was always drawing from uh, American surveys and European ones and other authors. So I was pretty sure that the book can be translated. But then we just realized that it would be just too big for international market, that uh, it would be rather difficult to um, to uh, present the book from an unknown author from Europe to somewhere in America, right? So I had this deep conversations uh, with people uh, who were working with me on the book because I wasn't sure if it can be a bridge, if it can be like uh, edited down, I don't know, to 500 pages. And there were yeah. like uh, two like great moments. First of all, I was uh, I was writing about it with Stephen Pressfield, and I, I just mentioned mm-hmm. that I'm going to uh, edit the book down to I don't know 300 pages less, and that I'm not sure if I'm able to to do it. And he wrote me back uh, in his like very cheerful manner. I love how he writes. Uh, <laughs> that when he wrote yeah. like Gates of Fire, that uh, it was like I don't know 700 pages long and his agent told him that to sell the book to a publisher that it has to be like i don't know 300 pages right 300 pages long and so i just realized come on so if it's possible to to uh to abridge such a great novel you know like into a bridge form and still Mm -hmm. keep it that great because it's one of my most favorite books books of all time uh so i'm definitely going to make it with my own book and that gave me the courage to go on with the process it was definitely uh definitely hard because we had to find a translator uh from czech to english and it had to be a native speaker so that's uh, that's a kind of professional that is really hard to find but we succeeded and Mm -hmm. then i had this one uh that was translated by eric piper and when he finished the book, I was like, uh, well, uh, my voice in some parts would be different. So I definitely want to work more on this manuscript. And I started another long journey, like with my editor, Scott Hudson, who is American living in Prague. And we just, we were just working yeah. like another half a year, uh, on the manuscript just to make it into my uh, tone of voice again. So like when I needed to change something, we were discuss- we had a long discussions, uh, like how to, how to change uh, the translation. And we did it like several mm-hmm. times all over. But in the end, uh, I think that the English edition, which was like then proofread by another professional, Katie Perkins, a great proofreader, is basically uh, an edition like that would be generally applicable for freelancers worldwide and that we want to use as a basic uh, uh, for another foreign translation. So it would be used for, I don't know, German translation, French one or anywhere in the world. So basically, okay. if anyone is listening who is interested in freelancing and, and would like to have this book translated into their native English, they can send me an email and we will um, send them a print sample, no problem. So basically, it was it it, it took us uh, one in one year and a half to go from a like a really big volume in Czech to a like uh, four hundred fifty pages in English. That is like mm, there's there's not a single word a word 
I would change anymore in that book. I'm totally happy with it. And it's thanks to these people that were working on it. And thanks to uh, peer reviewers from all around the world, because I just wanted to be 100% sure that if there would be an uh, American re- reading it or a British reader re- reading it, that uh, uh, the know-how in the book would be applicable. So we approached like several uh, freelancers from different parts of the world, from different cultures, basically, and they send me their inputs, comments. I even added uh, some of their stories into the manuscript. So it was like a two ways communication, right? Like uh, I really enjoy when people do a critique of my work. Uh, I'm always looking forward to that. And uh, I'm always trying to uh, to find some grain of story in it and to add it to the manuscript. I think it's one of the best ways to improve a non-fiction book that you have these random comments, but these people, they definitely have something to say. They want to share something. And and uh, it's my responsibility as an author to find a proper place in a book to put it in. So that was the process. <laughs> Well, thank you, Robert. That's a great story. And I think it's a really good lesson for us all to bear in mind that, you know, once we, you know, do all the work of writing, say, the 700-page book or whatever the equivalent is for us, it's very easy to get quite attached to that format of the work and think, well, this is it. This is set in stone. But, you know, as Steve Pressfield reminded yeah, us, <laughs> you know, it's it's not necessarily, and you may have to to go and reinvent it. I mean, there's plenty of times... Mimi, my poetry teacher, has said to me, no, this poem is this completely the wrong shape <laughs> and size. You either need to cut it right down or you need to extrapolate it into something much longer. I'm also thinking you can actually buy two, in the Arden Shakespeare, you can get two different editions of Hamlet because Shakespeare was constantly mm-hmm. rewriting and adapting and extending or cutting. You know, maybe if they were going to do a performance at the palace, they might cut certain scenes or add some in. You know, there may be some topical stuff happening. You know, if he wasn't too proud to get the scissors out and to to reshape his masterworks, then neither should we be. And um, I can't judge it against the Czech original, but certainly the English edition reads really well, Robert. Thank you very so, much. So congrats on doing a great job on that. So... Okay, final duty for you today, Robert. This is the point of the show where I invite my guest to set a creative challenge to you, dear listener. Uh, And the point of the challenge is it's something that will be related to the theme of today's interview and that you can do or you can at least get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation. So, Robert, what's your creative challenge? Thank you, Mark. Uh, I was thinking a lot about it and and, uh, I went through all the practices I have in the book just to select a few ones. And I I think this one is is special because it relates to creative professionals. Uh, First of all, let me give some brief introduction. Uh, One of the most important topics in the book, uh, in my book, is uh, a good name. That a good name is something that brings you constant job opportunities, uh, constant like uh, opportunities in general. And this good name is basically uh, established association of quality between 
you as a person, as a professional, and your expertise. And just to be clear here, you know, when you say a good name, you don't just mean a, yeah. a clever brand name. You mean a, a good reputation in the good industry, reputation, right? Exactly. Actually, like a good, good reputation and a personal brand is something completely different. And people tend to like put mm-hmm. it in one basket, right? So a good name is only a reputation. It's something other people think and tell about you and it grows over time uh, by people talking about you when you are not present. So when people go to pub, they go to restaurant, they mostly talk only about other people. So good name is something mm-hmm. that forms by, by people telling stories and their experience with you to others. And uh, for it to be told, they need to understand what is your expertise. Uh, your expertise has to be stable uh, in a certain way. It can evolve definitely, but it has to be like understandable as a story yeah. because people would like to tell a story how you started small and went big, right? So, uh, so my challenge mm-hmm. is that... You can list everything you've been doing professionally over the last five to 10 years, and then just try to tell it as a coherent story to see whether it all fits into a single narrative. Because I believe that you in the first first place as a listener has to be able to tell that story for yourself and to others because you would be telling one way or another all the time, right? And if people wouldn't be able to understand it, to to grasp uh, the whole structure, it's not very probable that they would be telling the story the way uh, the way you would you would like it, right? So I think it's great actually to take a look uh, take a look at your career and to identify what were like the important points and then tell it as a whole, and it will help you definitely to to explain your work better because you may find out that the first version of the story is well not really like understandable for someone so you may want to improve it and you may ask for feedback like uh, sending it to a partner to your colleagues and ask them for their opinion so that's my challenge that's a great challenge robert and i really agree with you about the value of this i mean one of the things i do with clients quite often is i challenge them to write the about page of their <laughs> website which is where they tell the story about who they are professionally because it's amazing how many people are not clear about what that story is and and who they are and the thing is once you've written it down in that format then you know that story you know who you are and you can talk about yourself much more fluently and confidently in lots of different situations so i think this is a great challenge robert and i would invite you if you do this and you would like you're feeling brave you would like to share it with us then go to the comments at the end of today's interview on on the website so if you go to 21stcenturycreative.fm/robert then you can, you know, if you put it on your website, leave a link to the site or just, you know, paste your story right there in the comments. We would really love to read your stories and and hear how you got on with the challenge. So, Robert, thank you so much. You know, I knew from your book how, you know, how much you know, and it's a real pleasure to spend time with you and hear you articulate it so clearly for us. So, so obviously, people should go and get hold of the book. 
the freelance way, isn't it? Yeah, the freelance way dot uh, dot eu. Like if they want to buy a ebook, and we will be yeah. we will be trying uh, to get a printed version to a global market as soon as possible. But it will be a several weeks or months later, I, I suppose. But the ebook is definitely available. And Mark, uh, I just want to add that I uh, I totally enjoyed this interview, and I really appreciate and uh, follow and recommend your work everywhere because you're just a great person to help um, creative professionals, and you have this wonderful publishing history. And I also recommend your books, obviously. So thank you very much. I, it was a it was a pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Well, it's it's a delight to be able to return the the favor here. And also, where should people go to find you if they're maybe interested in some? Do you offer consulting uh, help? I do. Uh, they may find my website at uh, vla.ch. So that's my surname uh, with the dot in the middle before the before the ch. <laughs> I see. Right, very clever. And um, the freelance community again. Yeah, could you uh, say the name? Yeah, it's uh, It's like uh, it's a, but it's Czech. So it's if you are Czech or living in Prague, an expat, uh, you, yeah. you are definitely welcome to join one of our uh, events or even the freelance think tank we, we run. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Robert. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You have been listening to The 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, I do hope you'll subscribe in iTunes And I'm always grateful if you could take a couple of seconds to just go to the iTunes podcast app and give the show a rating. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up for the course at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.